Hello and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Save the Cat is a book on screenwriting that provides a story structure followed by many of today's successful films. The details differ, but the structure is there. Similarly, God has a story structure or process he follows in our spiritual renewal, a process that can sometimes be painful, but leads to glory. Teaching team member Bob Cargo brings us this message entitled, His Word, My Pain, and What God is Up To, which covers Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. Thank you for joining us today. Let's pray as we uh, dig into things here today. Lord, we do ask you now that you would uh, come and speak to our hearts by your word. We uh, have uh, spoken to you singing and, and praying in our hearts We've uh, exhorted each other. We now want to hear from you, not from a human preacher, but from your word. We pray that you would forgive the sins of the preacher today. Those sins are, are many and deep, and uh, he needs your grace as much as anyone. Now, Lord, we ask you that you would open our hearts, not just to hear with our ears, but with our hearts, to what your word would have to say to us. Help us to see the good news about Jesus today. And we pray it in his name. Amen. If you have a Bible, let me ask you to look to Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah is one of the big books in the Old Testament. If you go to Psalms and turn right, you'll find uh, Isaiah in there, and after Isaiah is Jeremiah, and chapter 1 is where we're going to spend a little bit of our time uh, today. Uh, Great to be back with you here uh, in terms of preaching. Always glad when I can be uh, here uh, sharing God's Word with you. Uh, even on a holiday weekend, uh, I've asked Randy if I can get paid time and a half on holiday weekends. It's just not working though. I think when you're salaried, it just doesn't work that way. So, uh, but glad to be here on the, on this weekend. We're also glad to have here in the, the main auditorium, I'll say, uh, Daryl Ford leading us and our worship pastor. We're so thankful for him. Thankful he's on the perimeter team as he and his wife are just now beginning to plant a church in the Decatur area. And so you can be praying for them and encouraging them as they're finishing to support raising and getting started in gathering people and and hopefully early in the next calendar year uh, be starting worship sometime then, Lord willing. It was great having Leon's Crump here last week as well and thankful for what God is doing in renovation. And in many ways, uh, today's sermon builds on what Leon's talked about last week. Uh, Last week he talked out of uh, John chapter 7 that unbelief lies underneath all of our issues with God. And he talked about three forms or three faces of, of unbelief. And the second of those three he called confusion or skepticism. And when he was preaching, he made a comment that really uh, hit home with me because I knew what I was preaching about this week and uh, connected the dots there. He, he made this statement. He said, often skepticism is an emotional reaction to tragedy, difficulty, and hardship. He's absolutely right. Anyone who's been in ministry for a long time knows that's true. Some people do have skepticism because of genuine intellectual issues. But very, very often, skepticism comes because of an emotional reaction to hardship, tragedy, difficulty, and pain. He also made this comment last week. He said, we are often confused because of misinformation. And I think there's no topic in the world about which we have more misinformation than the topic of pain and suffering and hardship. A great theme of your life and mine is this. How will we respond to the difficulties and hardships of our lives? How will we respond to pain? And will our response be based upon the truth or misinformation? Here's the truth of the matter. 
None of us like pain, but we all experience it. Isn't that right? None of us like pain, but we all experience it. The Old Testament book of Job is perhaps the oldest book of the Old Testament chronologically in terms of when it was written, and it's about the topic of suffering. And that book of Job famously says this, mankind is born for distress and trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. (laughs) Do sparks fly upward? You bet they do. So we're born into distress and trouble. If you're human, you hurt, and you know that. If you care, you experience pain, and you know that. And as Bono wrote in one of the songs performed by you 2 the heart that hurts is the heart that beats. If your heart is beating, it hurts somewhere along the way, maybe today. How are you going to interpret your pain? What in the world is God up to in our pain? That's the question for the believer. Today we want to look at these issues out of a passage of Scripture that in a sense rather obscure as it connects to this topic. And the reason it seems obscure is that you have to understand the book as a whole to understand how it connects with pain and suffering. But once we see that context, it's a tremendously important passage of Scripture. And I think it leads us to a very liberating truth. And that liberating truth is this. If you're a follower of Jesus... God is always up to something good in your life, even in those episodes that feel very bad. If you're a follower of Jesus, God is always up to something very good in your heart and life, even during, in, and through those experiences that feel very, very bad. That's what we want to see here in Jeremiah 1, the why and the how of what God is doing in our pain. Follow with me as we read Jeremiah 1. We'll start in verse 1 of chapter 1 and first look at verses 1 through 3 to get the context of today's message. It says here, the words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. The word of the Lord came to him in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. And through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. Now, let's stop right there. It's critically important here to understand the context. The prophet Jeremiah prophesied and he preached at the end of the seventh century and the beginning of the sixth century B.C. And he preached during the reign of the last five kings of the southern kingdom called Judah. Josiah, Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, and Zedekiah. And I'm so proud I could say those so well. Glad I didn't have to memorize them. He preached during that time, and you need to understand, it was the most awful period in the history of Judaism, except perhaps for the Holocaust. It was a time in which Babylon was bearing down upon Israel, threatening to conquer it, And indeed, they conquered Israel and Jerusalem, and they started taking the people of Jerusalem and the people of Israel away into captivity, one group after another. That is the time at which Jeremiah was prophesying and preaching, and during the beginning of the time of the exile. So it was a tremendous time of suffering for Israel, and that suffering was connected with their sin and their rebellion. But it was also a tremendous time of suffering for the prophet Jeremiah. He was called the weeping prophet for a reason. There's probably maybe no prophet of the Old Testament or apostle of the New Testament in some ways has suffered more than he did. But he suffered not because of his own sin. He suffered because of the sins of Israel. And he suffered because of what the Israelites were doing to him. 
So I want you to get the picture here. Israel was suffering, and it was connected to their sin. Jeremiah was suffering, and it was not because of his sin. It was because of the sin of people around him. He was, in a sense, the victim of their sin. But in all of that, God was doing something very, very good. He was purifying and redeeming Israel, bringing them, in a sense, through a very hard experience back to himself and preparing them to be the nation through which he would bring the Savior of the world. That was very hard for them to see at that time. So there's the context. We pick up in verse 4, and now Jeremiah starts speaking and writing in the first person. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I'm too young. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I'm too young. You must go to everyone I sent you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I've put my words in your mouth. See, today I point you over nations and kingdoms, and then he says, to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. A painful time for Israel and for Jeremiah, and here's the critical question, what is God up to in our pain? What is God up to in our pain? C.S. Lewis was the renowned, a renowned British professor of literature. He held chairs and he taught both at Oxford and at Cambridge. He was born in 1898, died in 1963 on the very same day that John F. Kennedy was assassinated. He was a man acquainted with pain and suffering in his life. He understood it intellectually. He understood it experientially. In 1940, he wrote a very tremendous, important book called The Problem of Pain. In 1961, he wrote a book called A Grief Observed, and the grief he was observing was his own grief after the death of his wife. He was a man who understood about all this. And in his perhaps most famous book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis talks about a little bit of what God is doing in the life of believers when things feel painful. And this is what he says. You won't see it on the screen, but hear it carefully. He says, I think that many of us, when Christ has enabled us to overcome one or two sins that were an obvious nuisance, are inclined to feel, though we don't put it into words, that we are now good enough. He's done all we wanted him to do, and we would be obliged if he would now just leave us alone. But the question is not what we intended ourselves to be, but what he intended us to be when he made us. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that these jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one you thought of. He's throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. What a beautiful, beautiful description. There is at least part of the explanation. It's not the total explanation, but it's part of the explanation of what God is doing in the life of 
of believers when they're going through pain. He's rebuilding us. He's renovating us. He's expanding us. He's turning us into something that we never imagined because it's bigger and it's greater and it's more wonderful than ever we dreamed of for our own hearts and lives. And he loves us just like we are, but he loves us too much to leave us as we are. And so he starts building us into something that's wonderful and new. The question is, how does he do that? If that's what he's up to, then how does he do it? What is the process? And that's what we want to talk about today. What does God do? How does he go about changing us? And that's what we want to see here very quickly in Jeremiah chapter 1. Three observations from the book of Jeremiah about how he goes about changing you and me into something and someone more wonderful than we would have imagined. How he builds a palace out of a decent little cottage. Number one is this, God changes us by tearing down and building up. He changes us by tearing down and building up. I don't know a lot about farming. My dad was raised on a farm. I was not raised on a farm. He kept a, a, uh, a garden in our backyard for as long as his health enabled him to take care of that garden. I never liked working in the garden. Never, I'll always remember going home on a trip one time when I was a young adult. He said, I've got a new rototiller. I want you to go out here and try it out. I went out and went, used his rototiller, and I said, what are you planting, Dad? He said, nothing. I just wanted you to have the experience, you know. <laughs> I don't know a lot about farming, but I do know this, that before a crop can be planted and grown, the field has to be raked clear. The trees are taken off, and the bushes are taken off, and the grass is plowed under, and there's a lot of destruction, a lot of uprooting before there's planting. That has to come first. My dad was a residential contractor, and for a summer or two, I worked for his carpenter. Because of that, between my first and second years of seminary, I worked for an acquaintance who was remodeling homes in the Birmingham area. Now, despite the fact that I'd worked for my dad's carpenter, I was pretty bad at all that. So I found out when I was working with my friend that remodeling involves tearing down and then building up, and I was really good at the tearing down part. That was my specialty. I could tear stuff down all day long, but stuff had to be torn down before it got built back. That's the process, right? I mean, it's the same is true in athletics and in sports. Before you build up a muscle, what do you have to do? You have to tear down the muscle. It's the same is true in military or in sports. Before a team will work together as a team and really function well as a team, whether it's a military team or an athletic team, there has to be a lot of difficulty and pain and suffering in a sense tearing down in order to be built up. And that's also what we see in the scriptures. It's what we see in Jeremiah 1. Look at verse 10 again. This is what God says to Jeremiah. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to do what? Uproot and tear down, destroy and overthrow, and then to build and to plant. That's the process of how he changed Israel and how he changes you and me. It's the same thing we see in Romans 5. Follow along, and follow along please, in Romans 5, 1 through 5. You'll see it on the, the screen. Look especially at verses 3 and 4. Paul says, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. That's great. But then look at what he says. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Why would we do that? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope, 
And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We want hope. We want character. It comes how? It comes through suffering. Before the building up, there's tearing down. We see it also in 2 Timothy 3.16. This is how God's word functions. All scriptures God breathed and is useful for what? For teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Before there's the training, there's the rebuking and the correcting. That's God's pattern. Just this last few weeks, I met a new brother in Christ who lives in another city. He's originally from South Africa. And he told me his story of uh, both in South Africa and in coming to the U.S., basically a life of affluence and wealth and everything great circumstantially. And then about 10 years ago, if I remember the story correctly, he lost his job. And he went through a very, very long period of unemployment. He began to go down and down and down. During that time also, while he was spending time online looking for jobs, he fell prey to online pornography, and he went down further than he ever imagined. But he told me the story how God used all of that experience to deal with things in his heart that never would have been dealt with if he had not been put through all of those awful experiences. What was God doing? He was tearing him down. Why? So he could rebuild him in the image that he wanted according to Christ. He probably thought he was okay on the outside. God was doing something new and different on the inside. Last week, Leon shared about the trials and tribulations of his wife's illness. Through the years and different sermons and messages, I've shared just some with you about the pain and suffering of our lives. But let me tell you, it is so true. God will never take you through an experience that feels bad without doing something good in you and for you if you will trust him. Let me ask you, how are you responding to what God is doing? In what way is he uprooting what is wrong in your life? In what way is he tearing down what doesn't fit the image of what he wants in this palace? In what way is there pain so that he can make of you a palace? What is God up to in your pain? He's making you into someone beyond your wildest dreams. That's the first thing we see in this passage. Second thing we see in this passage about how God changes us is this. He changes us by the power of his word. The power of his word. Look again at verses 4 and 9 and 11 of Jeremiah 1. The word of the Lord came to me, says Jeremiah in verse 4. Verse 9, the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I put my words in your mouth. Verse 11, the word of the Lord came to me. Over and over again, the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord. Now, Jeremiah experienced the word of the Lord as a direct verbal revelation. He gave to Jeremiah a direct revelation that he and then would in turn give to the nation of Israel. And he, through Jeremiah, declared his intentions of what he would do. That's why he said to Jeremiah, I'm giving you my word to tear down nations and build them up. He declared the, the intentions of God of taking nations down and building others up. That came through him. Jeremiah experienced the word of God as a direct verbal revelation. We don't experience the word of God that way. How do we experience the word of God? We experience the word of God in these two ways. We experience it as a written revelation and as God's sovereign decree. First of all, God's word, the word of the Lord, is his revealed will in the scriptures. And how does God use the scriptures in your life and mine? He uses the scriptures to expose sin and tear things down. 
to uproot out of our lives the weeds of unrighteousness. And then he uses his word to bring into our hearts the righteousness that he wants through his written word. But he also does it in another way. The word of the Lord can also refer to his sovereign decree of what he ordains in our lives. So in other words, God ordains circumstances to come into our lives. And those circumstances start to expose the sin and the wickedness and the unrighteousness around us. And it shows us things that we need to turn away from. And it shows us, and God brings us in touch with those things that he is ordaining that build us up. So get this idea. When God wants to undo us and redo us, he uses his word to tear down and build up, his written word. The scriptures convict us of sin. The scriptures tell us what we repent of. The scriptures tell us what we walk away from. And the scriptures affirm the righteousness that we pursue. But then in his love, he not only gives us his written word, he decrees and he ordains circumstances in our life. And those circumstances start to expose some ugly things in our hearts. And those circumstances also will take us to the means of grace and the blessings of life that can lead us toward righteousness. And in all of that, what is he up to? He's trying to make us into something we never dreamed we could ever be. He has a plan for us that is like a palace compared to a decent little cottage. And he's using his decrees. He's using his providence. He is using his written word. And in all of that, he is reshaping us to look like his son. We see the same theme of the word of God changing people. His word as a written word, his word as a sovereign decree. We also see it in Isaiah 55. Follow with me in verses 6 through 11 of Isaiah 55. You'll see it on the screen and see here about how God uses his word sovereignly for our reconstructed holiness. Verse 6. It says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. Do you see here the theme of a changed, rebuilt life? I hope you do. And how is that rebuilt life, how does it come about? Through his word as we're going to see. Verse 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God sovereignly uses his word to shape our lives and bring us to himself. And when he's acting in our lives that way, we become what he wants us to become. What's he doing? He's changing us and building us into something we never imagined possible. And he's doing it through the process of his word. So he tears down and he builds up. He does that through his word. And the third observation is one that comes by way of context. And that is that all of this is a work of the gospel. It is the story of the gospel. I'll have to admit to you that I'm not sure that the gospel is very clear if we just look at Jeremiah chapter 1. But you can't look at Jeremiah 1 without looking at the whole book of Jeremiah and seeing also the book of Jeremiah in the context of the whole Bible. This takes place through the gospel. It's the story of the gospel, and I mean that in a macro sense and in a micro sense, okay? First of all, it is the story of the gospel in Jesus. 
the story of the gospel and Jesus. The good news is the story of Jesus. That's what it is. It's the story of his birth, his life, his miracles, his teaching. It's also the story of his persecution, his opposition, his whipping, his death. Then the story of his resurrection and his ascension and someday his return. That's the story of the gospel. And do you not see here in the story of Jesus this same gospel theme of tearing down in order to build up? In the life of Jesus, there was pain and suffering and then triumph. He was humbled before he was exalted. There was the incarnation and suffering and death before newness of life. Jesus, in fact, said about his own death and resurrection, he said, if a kernel of wheat remains by itself, it remains alone. But only when it falls to the ground and dies does it produce more seed. What was Jesus saying? He was saying before there's multiplication in life, there's death. And sure enough, for him there was crucifixion and then there was resurrection. He was humbled for us so that he could be exalted for us. And he was torn down and built up so that we could be torn down and built up as well. That's the story of the gospel in Jesus. And there's also the story in the gospel of Israel's experience in preparation for the coming of Jesus. Okay, now I want you to track with me here. If I haven't lost you already, I might lose you right now. Track along with me, okay? How did God work to bring our Savior into the world? Where do we see the gospel in the book of Jeremiah? We see it in one place, for example, in chapter 33, verse 15, and here's the promise. In those days and at that time in the future, from Jeremiah's perspective, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line, and he will do what is just and right in the land. Here's the picture. The picture in the portrait is that at the Babylonian exile, the nation of Israel is like this beautiful tree that has been chopped down. And the lineage of King David and the promise that there would always be someone from David's lineage upon the throne of Israel looked like it was an absurd hoax. How in the world would this be true? The nation has been taken into captivity. The line of David's lineage of kings has come to an end. And it's like seeing this beautiful big tree that was there and now it is a stump. And the promise of the gospel in Jeremiah is that out of that stump would grow a righteous little twig, a righteous branch. And that righteous branch would be Jesus. And he would be the savior of the world. But for the savior of the world to come into place, <laughs> the nation had to be cut down. But then brought, God brought that savior and he would be the savior of the world. And God was doing something that was like a palace compared to a decent little cottage. God was doing something to save people from all around the world. And the nation of Israel had never envisioned it. It's the same thing that was said by the prophet Isaiah. And the apostle Paul, pro, uh, the apostle Paul quoted Amos. Rather, not Isaiah, but Amos. What was said through the prophet Amos and what was quoted by the apostle Paul in Acts 15. And this is what he said in verses 16 and 17. After this, I'll return and rebuild what? Rebuild David's fallen tent or David's fallen house. Its ruins I will rebuild and I'll restore it. And the rest of mankind, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things. In other words, 
The nation of Israel was like this house of David that had fallen flat. How in the world would it ever be restored? Even after they came back from the captivity, they were always under the thumb and oppressed by other people. There was no glory in that kingdom. What did God have in mind? And what the New Testament apostles teach and what they say in the book of Acts and in the epistles of the New Testament is this. Yes, David's house fell flat, but God resurrected the house of David with the coming of Jesus. And that's great news because through Jesus, all the nations of the earth can pour into David's house. And Gentiles like me and Gentiles like Daryl and Gentiles like most all of you here today can come into David's house and be Abraham's children. Why? Because the house fell, but God raised it in Jesus. It's the story of the gospel in Jesus' life. It's the story of the gospel in preparation for Jesus. And because of that preparation, that's why God said through Jeremiah to the people of Israel, even while they were in captivity, chapter 29, he said this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. That is a verse that I've taken out of context a million times in my life, and it still works for believers. It is still God's promise to us that he promises to do us good and not to harm us. But the context and the original meaning is this. God was saying to Israel, you will be in captivity 70 years, but I will bring you out and I will prosper you back in Israel, not like it used to be, but I will prosper you by making you a nation out of which the Savior of the world will come. And God had a plan for them that was like a palace in comparison to a decent little college. God had a plan for them so that people like you and me could find the Savior of the world. So it's the story of the gospel in Jesus, but it's also the story of the gospel in every believer's life. Your life and my life as well. Here's the idea that through his word, as I've already said, and through his circumstances, what's he doing? He's not just changing us, he's bringing us to Jesus. A few minutes ago, we sang the song, Lead Me to the Cross. My friends, that exactly is what God is doing through his written word, through his sovereign decrees, by tearing you down and uprooting what doesn't belong in your life, by building you up. What is he doing? He's taking you to the foot of the cross. On the screen, you're going to see a famous, famous painting by Rembrandt. It's called The Elevation of the Cross. If you look at it carefully, you'll see something that just doesn't belong. The brightest part of the whole painting is not only Jesus on the cross, it is a man wearing a painter's beret at the foot of the cross. It is obviously not a man who lived in Israel in the first century. It is Rembrandt himself. And Rembrandt paints himself into this, into this painting as a way of saying, I need to be at the foot of the cross. I am a sinner. I need the forgiveness of Christ, and I need the transformation of Christ. And he paints himself there at the foot. And my friends, that is what God is up to in your life and mine. Through all this pain, through all this hardship, through his written word and through the circumstances he's ordained for you, he is trying to lead you to come to that point in which you will kneel before the cross 
And you will do it every day and every day and every day. You will kneel before his cross and you will say, I need your forgiveness today and I need your transformation today. Save me from my vision of being a decent little cottage. Give to me a vision that I might be a palace of your glory and do whatever it takes to make me what you want me to be. One of our church planters has a phrase that he uses from time to time, and I love it. He says, I've been wrecked by the gospel. (laughs) What does he mean by that? He means God has loved me enough to tear my life apart so that it can be rebuilt the way Jesus wants to rebuild it. How is the gospel wrecking your life today? If he is wrecking your life, give him praise because he's planning to build you back as a palace for his glory. If you have perhaps wrestled with this understanding of Christianity and never really believed in Jesus before, I hope that today you will. hope that today you'll say, Lord, I know and I believe today that Jesus came and died for me. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. Rebuild my life. I surrender to you. Perhaps you have made that decision before and you've been a follower of Jesus for a while, but God is putting you through some painful experiences, and if so, Let me ask you to, again, surrender. Just three things to do in response to this message, and those would be surrender, understand, and believe. Surrender, understand, and believe. Surrender to his providence in your life. Surrender to the lordship of his written word. Understand. Don't be misinformed, but understand that how he changes us is through his word and through the gospel and through these painful experiences. And as you surrender and understand, keep believing, keep believing, and keep cooperating with the work of the Lord in your heart because he's up to something in your life. He's building you into being a kind of person that's far beyond what you imagined, a palace in which he intends to come and live. Amen. Let's pray as we close. Lord, just as we are about to sing the words of surrender, We ask you to give us that attitude in our hearts. Lord, show us how to surrender to you. Show us how to be submissive to your plan for us so that we might be what you want us to be. Thank you for your work of rebuilding us into the image of Christ, and we thank you that it's through the power of the gospel, through the power of your word, and through your loving reconstruction in our hearts. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen been listening to the Perimeter Church podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.